0: Happy Wednesday. Guys, we have got a very informative show for you today. It's a little heavy, but it is a very serious topic and one that we firmly believe every parent needs
1: to listen to. We are talking to Ann Moss Rogers, a mental health and suicide expert, and she's gonna tell a little bit about her story and give us advice and wisdom that is so incredibly needed
2: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Many
1: of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey.
0: Today we're getting a little serious with a topic that isn't necessarily pleasant, but completely necessary if you're a parent or just a citizen of the world. Our guest is a mental health and suicide education expert. She's written two books, Diary of a Broken Mind and Emotionally Naked, A Teacher's Guide to Preventing Suicide. Welcome today's guest, Ann Moss Rogers. Hi, Ann Moss. How are you? Doing well. Thank
2: you. I appreciate you having me on
0: today. Let's start at the beginning. What is your background and how did you become an expert? Expert on mental health and
2: suicide. In high school, I was like, I want to be in advertising. I started at advertising agencies and I was a copywriter. Then the digital age moved in and I moved over to sort of digital marketing, ended up owning a digital marketing firm because I could be home in my home office a lot of that time while my kids were growing up. Had two boys Richard was the oldest, and Charles was my younger son. So I go into digital marketing, then I start to see signs and issues in Charles, my younger child. I'm like, what is going on? And especially when his drug use started to escalate, I suspected there was a mental health story behind that. So I joined the board of a place called Beacon Tree Foundation, which was all about youth mental health. I couldn't find a support group at the time and that board, they were kind of my support group. I ended up becoming president and then later on I would become executive director and I would go into schools. I'm like, we got to talk about this drug issue, got to talk about mental health. Oh my gosh. I had the door slammed in my face. Probably five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years. What time period are we talking here? So we're talking about like two thousand ten to really. 2019. Yeah.
1: Wow.
0: That just goes to show you how long it's taken for mental health to be something that's a priority.
2: Right. The pandemic kind of put the foot on the accelerator. The suicide rates were up. The kids were talking about mental health, but the adults still were like, oh, we need to focus on grades. I'm like, but emotionally healthy kids perform better.
1: Also, you need a child that is wanting to be in the world, most importantly.
2: Absolutely. In 2015, I lost my son to suicide. I'm so sorry. Thank you. And you know what? He was a comedian. Oh my gosh, he was so gifted. He was a creative genius. I would talk to him about the dangers of the internet and he would come back and act out all the scenes in the kitchen. He'd go, I sent my naked picture today to someone on the internet. He said he was a doctor and you said the only person I need to show my naked body to is a doctor and he said he was a doctor, so I went ahead and said it. And then he would come in and he'd just act out all these little scenarios. He says, Mom, I'm going to the mall. Somebody asked me to test out some video games in the parking lot in a van <laughs> He's my friend on the internet. He's going to come pick me up on the corner. Oh my gosh. And Richard and a are gripping the sides of the table because I'm telling this story. I'm not doing it nearly as well. I mean, he could come like suck you into that whole naive thing. But the beauty of that was he was telling me, I heard you mom in his own way. Yeah. I regret that he tried to tell me through humor, through other ways, that he was struggling. But when I would ask him directly, he would deny it. He was one of those kids, he'd tweet something and get a million retweets. But then he started posting some kind of dark stuff like if i died no one would notice for at least a month well people are like okay he's the jokester he's the funny guy they didn't know what it was and it gave them that weird feeling in the pit of their stomach they didn't know what to say so they just didn't say anything and it was like all these retweets and then the ones that were kind of serious where he's trying to tell you that he's struggling there's just like new activity that just breaks my heart. I was blocked from a social media account. Somebody did send me a picture of the one I just told you about. And it would be two days later, he would take his life You all, I didn't have it on my radar. I mean, this is the funniest, most popular kid in school we're talking about. The thing is, back then, no one was really talking about suicide. Yeah. The mental health professionals that met with him knew. Even before he reached 18, their data and the tests that they gave him showed that. But they didn't share that with me. Aren't they required to because he was a minor? They just said he was high risk and they never defined it. And he would be sitting in the room next to me. What do I say to that? Do I ask the question? Is it okay for me to ask in front of him? So once I got home, I called back. Well, they didn't take my phone call because they had my money. They delivered their report. They didn't need to have anything else to do with me.
1: I've had multiple people in my family attempt suicide and I myself had some suicidal ideations. My dad and I are both very funny and no one ever guessed that my father and I were struggling. I'm becoming a teacher now and my thing is trauma-informed teaching, trying to help young kids deal with social emotional stuff while educating them. What are the signs to watch
2: for. I'll start with what they say. They say things like, I don't want to be here anymore. I want to die. I can't do this anymore. I feel so worthless. I am such a burden. I'm always so overwhelmed. It's not really what they say, but how they say it and what are their circumstances surrounding that statement. Have they just lost a loved one? Have they just moved? Have they broken up with a loved one? Had a fight with a parent, a best friend? Because those relationship disruptions are often sort of that last straw event that pushes a vulnerable person towards suicide. And then we have transitions. That's another time. So we look at the big ones, high school to college, college to real life, or even middle school to high school. And we kind of ignore coming back from school spring break or coming back from the holidays. Those are highly vulnerable events. It's kind of leaving... That place where you have a lot of support and going back to a place where you don't, you haven't built that support or felt that support yet. That's all anecdotal at this point. We don't have statistics to support that. That's just what I'm seeing lately. And of course, trans kids as well. The LGBTQ community is really high risk. Because of that, a lot of schools have put in extra guardrails around those students to add support so let's talk about the behaviors that might indicate somebody is a suicide risk the first one is isolating and not just isolating from you the parent but from friends escalating the drinking and drugging a lot of risk taking like i don't care if i die and you're like oh my gosh if they do stuff like that they're gonna die but they don't care. This is one that people don't talk about a lot: getting sick a lot or going to the school nurse a lot. So your school nurse can probably identify kids who are struggling with some sort of mental health problem. My stomach hurts. My head hurts. These are physical symptoms that happen as a result of trauma, depression, anxiety, tightening your muscles. So they're not fake. They are real because if you've ever read The Body Keeps Score, you'll know. That trauma does feed in to those physical symptoms.
1: I'm tearing up because you're describing me as a child and you're describing my child now. I grew up in a pretty stressful household and I went to the nurse every day and I threw up every day before school and I always had an
2: ailment. Funny how you're seeing so much of yourself in our conversation today.
1: And then alarming that I have noticed it in my daughter.
2: Family history is huge. It runs in my family. I had a relative who attempted suicide. And then after Charles died, I lost a first cousin to suicide. So it's definitely in the family. And the depression and the anxiety are as well. But you know the person you're around. And you get this funny feeling. And what happens is the next day is a good day. So you talk yourself out of it. You let your brain talk you out of what you feel in your gut, which is what I did so many times. And that was also validated by other people like pediatricians. Oh, he'll grow out of it. Teachers that are not like you, Carrie, that say, no problem. But it was a teacher who first told me that, might be depressed. I like to go into a school and sort of focus on the triangle. The teachers, the parents, and the students. We need all sides to be educated and on the same page. Parenting tips for raising mentally healthy kids. We need to teach teachers how to intervene when a child might be at risk for suicide, other self-harm behaviors. And we want to figure out how to intervene early. So for them, I'm talking about how can we go upstream and stop this, give them the coping skills so they tell someone. Because we don't want to get to the edge of the waterfall and have to go rescue a kid before going over the waterfall. My mom
1: really did the best she could. She got me therapy at 14. She recognized there was a problem. She really did the best. she could and she was an amazing single mom and is an amazing single mom but she doesn't have the same kind of mental health issues that I had and it was a different time it was the 70s and 80s I always think what if this was a part of the conversation in the 70s and the 80s and when I was five and six and saying things to my mom like I have a lot of worries which is how I put it if I had been taught the techniques that I now know as an adult to deal with my worries how would life be different of course we can't go back. No one was doing that in the 70s and the 80s. It had nothing to do with my parents, but I was screaming out loud as a six-year-old being like, somebody please help me. Right, in the way that you can as a six-year-old. My mom always
0: had a philosophy that if you talk about it, it
2: makes it less scary. I can tell you they want to tell. Yeah. And they are so fearful of telling because they don't know how you're going to react. Are you going to panic? Are you going to tell them just to prey on it? Are you going to tell them they're just trying to get attention? Are you going to be disappointed? We don't want to ask because, number one, we don't think our kid because we love them too much. But my son grew up in a loving household. After it happened, I was focused on the 5% of parenting. I did imperfectly, And I totally ignored the 95% that I did right. All the birthday parties, all the love that I gave, all that good stuff. But here's what I'm going to tell you is the most important step in all of this is listening to your child. And what I mean by that is listen more and lecture less. You want your child to feel heard. And that means meeting them where they are, not trying to push them into the light, not dismissing where they are at the moment. Tell me more about how you feel. I am listening. And then you do something that adults don't like to do. You shut the F up.
0: What do you do or say if your child shares that they are feeling suicidal? And what about if the signs are there and you say, hey, is this something you're dealing with? And they deny it like you said your son did. What do you do
2: here? First step, you're getting that feeling in your gut that all of this doesn't sound right. And they're talking about the breakup. They're talking about, I don't want to be here anymore. That's when you stop. And you say, you know, a lot of times when people say things like they don't want to be here anymore, they're thinking about suicide. Are you thinking about suicide? Nobody wants to ask that. They want to say, are you thinking of harming yourself? No, not the right question. Are you thinking of suicide? are you thinking of killing yourself? And if it's a younger child, are you thinking of making yourself dead? You have to ask directly. And we don't want to ask it directly because why? We think we're going to plant the idea in their head. Yes. We can't do that. And multiple studies have shown what you will normally see in that child is relief. Because guess what? They have left clues. They have been trying to tell you because they want to tell. They've been holding this all inside themselves the whole time. It's like a balloon. The more they didn't tell, the bigger the balloon that got, the more real estate it took up in their brain. And once they tell and they start talking, all that air comes out.
1: And it feels like they've shared that burden so it's not suffocating them. Right.
0: This is what I was saying of speaking the scary thing. Sometimes you don't even know how to vocalize it. The amount of times my mom would say, you're acting weird something is going on. What are you scared of? What's happening here? And I would say, I don't even know. And she's like, well, let's figure it out. Let's work together. Right. I'm sorry. I'm having a hard time having words for this. This is a difficult conversation.
2: No, you said the perfect words. You're a parent. It's okay. They're going to be talking. That's when you take a deep breath, you do not panic because that is the number one thing they're afraid of. Is it you're going to panic and you're going to call 911 and put them in the back of an ambulance? That is your number one fear. So just say, keep talking. I'm going to take some deep breaths. I'm scared, but I'm here. And we're going to work this out. You've shown that partnership. You do not want to act like you have all the answers because you do not. And we're going to figure out what the next steps are. And you're going to be involved in that process. You want to give that child agency into that process along the way. You do not want to abandon them and take over and start making phone calls. You want to make them part of the process. So let's say you're scared right then. You have no idea what to do. Let's reach out to the crisis text line 741-741. And I need to ask some questions and figure out what the next steps are. Can we do that? together.
0: By the way note to listeners Ann Moss has provided so many different phone numbers and resources they are in our show
2: notes. And I also have an ebook they said they're suicidal what do I do now and it gives you scripts it gives you tips on coming up with a code word because if they're coming back after an attempt. What are you doing every time they leave? You're freaking out. Are they going to go kill themselves now? And you constantly want to ask them, is that helpful to that child or the situation? It is not. And that's when a parent needs to say, I am not doing all that well. I thought I would do better with this. And it's not fair to you. So I'm going to find help for myself. I'm going to find a support group. What are you doing? You're modeling. Then it is okay to reach out for help. That Even though you're an adult, you're still growing and learning and finding a support network.
0: So if you're sensing that your child is going through this and you blatantly ask them, are you feeling suicidal? And they say no. What do you do as a parent?
2: Say I'm relieved, but just know that if you ever feel this way, I'm not going to just go off to the deep end and call phone calls. I'm going to make you part of this process, and I'm going to listen to you. And if at any time during that process where you're telling me and I start lecturing, You need to stop me and say, Mom, that's unsolicited advice. I just need you to listen. And then I'm going to shut up because that's what I needed to do from the beginning. And say, when I'm nervous, sometimes I fill it with a lot of words. And I need you to feel heard. And I need to meet you where you are. Now, if you ask that question and there is three to five seconds and they say no, and you're doubting it, ask it again. You didn't want to ask it the first time. You're going to have to ask it again. If you still have doubts, say, I still have doubts because there's such hesitation. So I'm going to figure out what the process is for next steps. And then I'm going to come back to you and we'll have the discussion what those might be if you're feeling that way. Because I want your agreement as part of that process. There's a lot of different ways the conversation can go. You can also come up with a code word. And that's where you can do something funny. But leave it up to them. There was one young lady, every time she felt suicidal, she'd come and she'd go, Mom my toenails are blue. Nobody else knew what that meant. She could say it in front of a friend and that friend would not know what she meant. And the parent would just shake her head. And then she would make an excuse for the friend and say, you know, Polly and I have an errand to run. Can she catch up with you later? And then they could kind of address that immediate situation. By that time, this young lady had something called a safety plan. Because once you reach a resource, the first thing you want is a suicide risk assessment. You want them to have a safety plan. And at some point, you want them to have a psychological evaluation. You can't control what happens. But here's the beautiful thing. I never got that opportunity. My child never told me. And if your child is telling you it is the greatest gift, think of how brave they were. And that's the first thing you need to say. I know it was hard to tell me that is so brave of you. And I just really realized that if they're telling you they're still alive, they want to live and they want you to help figure it out. Not all of us get that opportunity. I did not. I didn't think I could live through pain that intense. And it went on for years. I didn't want to get out of bed. I didn't know how to take a shower. I got in the shower with clothes on because I couldn't remember the order of things. I'd go to the grocery store. People would hide from me, making everything worse. And then my friends felt awkward and I felt abandoned. It's the worst.
1: And people are afraid to talk about it because it seems so painful, but you need to talk about it or else there's no moving forward or through. I just want to share to our listeners that as a child and now as an adult on the other side, no one in my family that I knew of had been medicated ever. I mean, I now know they were. They had used drugs and alcohol as their primary source to medicate what was a mental illness. And when I reached out to my mom and she noticed and she sent me to a psychiatrist. I went on medication for the first time at age 13. The first medication was not right. Luckily, my mom is in a medical profession and she helped advocate for me to not stop until I got the right medication. I witnessed for the first time in the entirety of my life, which was all of 13, 14 years, but still, a feeling of my brain not being a burden to myself. It was an awakening that I will never forget and from that point, I've been at very, Various times on medication or off medication. I have kind of a situational depression that I can't really cope when there's a lot of things at once. I think so many people are sometimes afraid of medication and I'm telling you that medication saved my life. I would have not been able to get through my teenage years. I had so much trauma going on and it gave me space in my brain to be able to handle things. And then later I became a meditation and yoga teacher and did meditation and yoga because I got those same feelings doing meditation and yoga that I did when I was medicated. And I started to realize that there was a different way for my brain to feel. And that was the way that I wanted to feel. And what are other ways that I can feel that way aside from taking medication? And sometimes I have to take medication and do both those things. Sometimes it's just the one, but there's lots of options.
2: And what I'm also hearing you say is the medication enabled you to do the work that you needed to do.
1: I am a firm believer, and this is just me on my high horse. Medication should never be without talk therapy. I feel like talk therapy is the number one most important thing.
2: It's proven that some type of therapy, whether it's DBT, CBT skills, talk therapy, all of the above, you still need a toolbox. Right. Medication is only one tool in that toolbox. Another thing I just want to
1: say to you, not that you need to hear this from me or anyone for that matter, is you did the best you could. Yeah, I did. You did the best you could. And it doesn't make you a bad mom.
2: It took me a really long time to get to that place. But I want everyone here to know that recovery is not only possible it is probable.
0: That's beautifully uplifting.
2: We have more people who make it, who went through difficult times and are here today than the opposite. I just happen to be in that minority of unlucky moms, but most Kids make it and they grow and learn through the experience.
1: And they become empathetic because they understand the hardship.
2: Right. When we lose people that are empaths like you, Carrie, we lose the glue that's holding us together. And that's why it's so important to recognize and appreciate those deep feelers and help them build the skills of sort of editing out all the bad stuff in the world because they have a hard time. It's all coming at them and they can't edit out the flood in Pakistan and the Hamas war or whatever is going on. They take it all inside and they need to learn to deflect.
0: A lot of teenagers are dealing with a lot of anxiety these days because of just the state of the world, because of global warming. Then you look at, we could be in a war. There's all kinds of very scary things that are hard for people to process. And saying, don't worry about it, is not the answer. (laughs) Right, that doesn't do anything.
2: That never does it for anyone. It's teaching people skills. First of all, anxiety is not your enemy. It's out there to protect. you, And it's learning to manage that anxiety. Talk about healthy and unhealthy coping strategies. I have a coping card and it's kind of a version of the suicide safety plan, but this is for everybody. It is name the two people you would talk to if you hit one of life's speed bumps, because whose life goes perfectly the whole time? What things in life mean the most to you? What are the numbers you would call? So you outline those things on one side and the flip side are your wins and accomplishments. Because when you're in a down space, you forget all those great things you've done. And I call it the coping card. And it's based on Rudd and Brian's crisis response plan. Anybody can do a version of that card. And I put a post up last week and it has gone gangbusters. And there's a download that goes with it.
1: I'm going to make a coping card with my five-year-old. Luna, she always says that she's a really big feeler. And I go, I get it. I'm a really big feeler too. And at a very young age, she says, I have so many feelings in my body. I just want to have one feeling. I have so many thoughts in my head. I just want to have one thought. And I'm like, girl, you said it better than I did. And so sometimes I'll just say, name all the feelings that are in your body. Or if you can't name them, what are the colors? For me, it's so much about being aware of all the things you're feeling and then just slowing everything down and realizing that you are not your feelings. You are not your thoughts. You are more than your feelings. You're more than your thoughts. And I try to describe them to her, like, you know, how weather, rolls in and rolls out and it can feel like it's never going to stop raining, it does eventually stop raining. So we just have to know what kind of gear we have to put on to be able to be comfortable in the storm.
2: So I'm going to give you a tip here. And that is that all intense feelings last about 60 to 90 seconds. If you want to heal from something, you can't do that unless you feel the feelings, unless you sit with them and acknowledge them. Thought I would die, thought I would die, on the floor, curled up in a mall, screaming, kicking, cussing at the world, 60 to 90 seconds later, it would lift. That's when you go distract yourself. Because if you don't, you will refire those same feelings and go through that. And you want to lessen your suffering. All feelings are temporary, but we have to feel our feelings. And our kids do not know. They think It starts with distraction, and it does not. It starts with actually sitting with and feeling your feelings. And I love that you have that conversation. We think as parents, we have to have all the ideas, and... Let's say you're going back to work and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm really feeling anxious. Share that with your children. I could really use a random <laughs> because I'm really feeling anxious about this new job. Ask their advice about what you should do. Again, you're also giving them some of their power back when you do that. Because when they hug you randomly, what happens to you? You melt like a stick of butter. And they feel that. That gives them that sense of power that I matter. It's those little communication things that make the biggest difference.
1: I just want to say how incredible it is that you have gone through all of these things and have really made it your mission to help others and what a heartbreaking but beautiful gift that you are able to give. I want to just commend your courage and your resilience and thank you for staying the course.
2: I appreciate it, but I want everyone to know that the strength that you hear now is what I worked for. I worked. For it. It's not like I was born with all this extra resilience. I built those skills. May your son's memory be a blessing. Thank you. I think his story could be somebody else's survival guide. And I think some of the things that all of us have said today could serve as somebody else's survival guide. I
0: know this isn't about a plug for you, but you have so many valuable resources and newsletters and support a community for people who have gone through or are going Going through what you've gone through or are trying to help their children and don't know where to turn. So please plug all of those things so people have a resource.
2: Sure. So you can look me up and Moss Rogers, and likely my website, Mental Health Awareness Education, will come up. First, start with books, and then you'll see where I've got my books at the top, but you can click on free ebook library tons of free resources. And if you get one of those, you're on my mailing list, which goes out once a week. And then I have one for educators and one for university students. And for the university students, I'm just sending them coping strategies all the time here's how you tell, here's what you do. And we're doing a webinar in December and a series coping strategies for grief and loss for parents who've lost a child. Then I teach the raising mentally healthy kids, non-parenting tips for teaching kids how to cope. But I would love to come into school districts. I can do it online. I'm located in Richmond, Virginia, but I go all over the United States speaking to schools, to teachers, to parents.
0: Parents who are listening. And if you think this is a valuable resource for your school district, reach out to your educational board and tell them about Ann Moss. Tell them about what she's doing,
2: her resources. This is a valuable asset. I just want to add one thing. You can find a sponsor. So don't be saying, oh, I'm going to write a grant because if you write a grant, that's a year away at least. If you reach out, and typically it has taken anybody I've talked to less than two days to get a full sponsor, they will buy books, they will sponsor me coming to speak. Like a corporate sponsor? Yeah, any small businesses, or you get a number of them together. Well,
1: thank you so much. What an absolute needed conversation. Thank you so much. Y'all have a good day.
0: All right, guys, we love you. Have a great week. Bye.
1: So go ahead, girl. Know this posse is behind you, and go slay. Momtourage is a Cafe Mom podcast, written and produced by Ashley Herring-Smith and Carrie Sataro. recorded and mixed by Lee Mars. Our theme song, MILF, is by the band Mama Drama. You can find them on Instagram at mamadramaband or mamadramaband.com.